Hey, if you like free stuff, you're going to like Tim's Rewards by Tim Hortons. You can earn free food or drinks after every seven purchases. Cool. How do I win? Um, it's not a contest. You just use your Tim's Rewards card. And after seven purchases, you score a free coffee, tea, or baked good. Whoa. So I've got a pretty good chance of winning. Well, actually, you've got a 100% chance of winning. Those are great odds. <laughs> They sure are. Free coffee and more with Tim's Rewards. It's Tim Hortons' way of saying thanks. Valid only at participating restaurants. Please visit restaurant or timhortons.com slash rewards for full program details. Right now, you can get both Sprint's unlimited plan and the all-new Samsung Galaxy S10 included for just $35 per month per line for five lines. All you need is approved credit and 24-month installment billing. No trade-in required. Visit a Sprint store, Sprint.com, or call 800-SPRINT-1. Phone $15 a month after $22.50 a month credit. Apply within two bills of cancel early remaining amounts due. Unlimited basic after 630 20 Pay $32 per month per line for five lines with auto-pay data deprioritization during congestion. Speed maximums, use rules, and restrictions apply. listening to Uncle Sam Soccer Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest in American soccer. And don't forget to subscribe. On this week's episode of Uncle Sam Soccer Podcast, Steve Brissendine, Sporting KC beat writer, joins us to discuss SKC's U.S. Open Cup title victory on Wednesday. Dan from Nats Abroad calls in to discuss young Americans abroad, such as Josh Sargent and Weston McKinney. MLS looking to restructure its playoff format. We look to see if the ideas proposed are better for a league. All this on this week's episode of Uncle Sam's Soccer Pod. Welcome to this edition of Uncle Sam Soccer Podcast. I'm Stephen Jodorand, the man who switched his Twitter account after last week's episode. Armand Kafai <laughs> to Armand <laughs> Kafai is uh, on the line with me. What's going on, buddy? Nothing much. I thought that Twitter change would make things a lot easier. You can just find me by looking at my name. Yeah, that's. I mean, yeah, that that's 100 uh, percent for sure. But. Listeners, we got an awesome episode in store for you. We got multiple guests calling in. We're just waiting for a couple of them to call in. But Armand, I we don't ever often do this. Opening thoughts until Steve calls in here in the next couple of minutes. Do you have an opening thought from the weekend of American soccer? Any? Oh well, as an FC Dallas beat writer and as someone who watched them play on uh, Saturday night against Minnesota while waiting for a buddy of mine. I saw an absolute implosion of a team. It was, uh, I don't know what to even make of it. People say they've never seen a collapse like this in MLS history. I don't know what to even make of it at this point. This team just has no cohesion. They all know what they're going to do. I think at, at this point, the panic button has been pressed. They're probably going to miss the playoffs. It, it's, it's, it's looking messy for what 
used to be MLS's like MLS's darlings with the homegrowns and whatnot. Yeah, no. Uh, Oscar Pereira is he on the hot seat? I think he has he has the ability to have one bad year, but I mean, if next year it's a repeat, it's exactly what happened to Shellis Hyman. I I mean, would you, do I want them to can him? Absolutely not. But I mean, I don't know. I don't know. You can blame Oscar for this, or you can blame the team for bringing in just just players on the budgeted salary. MLS is evolving. It's you can't just go on and I guess moneyball it of sorts. I think they need at least one dominant player and it's just it's looking really bad it's looking really bad no, i i wonder who you, takes more of the blame because you have three different components to fc dallas you have the terrible front office that just can't get anything together then you have a brilliant coach that you can't, it's hard to blame him and then you have the players that seem to not want to play for the ownership with what happened with the routine barrios what happened with kellen acosta with with the the locker room, with the reports that you and I have been talking about, how the locker room might not necessarily be, you know, glued together. The glue guys don't seem to be gluing the locker room together. I mean, if you think about locker room wise, who's the glue guy? Do you have any? Because I I can't think of any Zimmerman? off the top of my head. I don't think I don't think Zimmerman's a glue guy. Um, as much as I love Walker, I don't think he's a, a, a glue guy. I mean, I would say Hedges, but I mean. I don't think they honestly have one. I mean, I forgot who it was. I think it was uh, Steve Davies from the FC Dallas broadcast mentioned how uh, it looks like FC Dallas will have like an enforcer. Yeah, which is which is relative, which is relatively true. I mean, will we see a roster overhaul this winter? I mean, that's a that's a question I want to see. Well, but, I mean, before before we uh, move on, I just want to say credit to Minnesota. They've completely turned around the way they played from the beginning of the season. You can't take away how good they played on uh, Saturday night and how good they've been playing recently. I, they've yeah. they're just completely flip flop from what they were sure. at the beginning of the season. I was watching uh, some uh, some you know how. Uh, in the game of soccer, you'll often have some sort of song played, and the fans are there, you know, clapping or clapping along. Forget Wonderwall. Say again. Wonderwall. Wonderwall. Minnesota United's got a pretty good soccer atmosphere. Like, good for them. Like, I, I really, I really enjoy it. My quick opening thought because Steve here is calling in any minute. Uh, Michael Bradley was talking about the turf when the the Rebs were playing Toronto uh, on Saturday. And he quote, it's ridiculous, the field. The football lines, the whole thing is a joke. And I'm starting to tell you that MLS has to be very concerned when one of its American players, one of its uh, leading marketed players like Michael Bradley is complaining about turf, especially the lines. It's not good for the league because if he's noticing it, then so are the European players and the South American players and the players abroad. If you are a franchise that does not have grass as its natural field in its in the stadium, you're going to suffer with with the marketing ability from the player standpoint, and it's starting to to unravel in front of MLS, especially with the the comments Bradley uh, said. Yeah, I really wouldn't say necessarily turf but i do believe I, I do believe turf does play a big impact i think specific types of turf for example um i don't know if the atlanta united turf is is that bad but i mean i know new england's turf isn't really that good no uh, actually what's funny armand is the patriots obviously because that's craft's main concern is the patriots they put in new field tr- they put in a new turf over the uh summer and it, it costs a fortune right it was supposed to be softer grass 
and it's supposed to actually be better for soccer. One game, the page, the opening night game against uh, Kansas City, the Chiefs. The players complained. Kraft's like, "All right, front office said screw it. We're ripping it up. We're putting back the turf." And yeah, the refs suffer because of that. But the football—it's one thing the turf. It's another thing with the football lines and all that mess too. So I mean, Michael Bradley is speaking. I think to more about the football lines on the field. I'm thinking the turf is starting to become an issue. Like Atlanta United, I, I wonder how long they can can deal with playing on turf before somebody's like, you got to put in grass. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't see it happening in the foreseeable future, but I, I, I do believe I think turf is going to cause a little bit of an issue, especially if New England doesn't move out of Gillette. I mean, they're like MLS, what, like 0.5 or something right now. It's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's pretty garbage at how they can't move out of a – uh, playing in and Boston's Gillette got Stadium. a soccer mar- market. I want to remind people, Boston has a genuine soccer market. Anyway, uh, joining us right now from Children's Mercies Park in the press box is Steve, MLS beat writer for uh, Sporting KC, MLSsoccer.com. How are you doing? Doing well. How are you doing today? We're doing great. You just wrapped up uh, with the LA Sporting KC game. How was it? I did. I, you know, it was, I think it was, it was sporting was avoided a, a hangover, which was a big deal. After oh, yeah. The Open Cup win. Um, I think they were, they, they've got veterans on this team. They're, they're professionals. They're not going to take one, a game off. And LA, you know, you know, LA's done for the year. I mean, they're, they're not going to make the playoffs. They're, they don't mm-hmm. look good at all. And it's a, it's a rough moment for them. But I think sporting did what they needed to do today, got the three points. Uh, put themselves in a good position, still going forward. They, you know, depending on what happens with Portland tonight, they're they're second right now. So you know, all in all, it's it wasn't a spectacular game, but there were some uh, some nice moments for Sporting. For sure, um, Steve. Let's go back to a couple days where Sporting KC hosted the New York Red Bulls, ended up lifting the U.S. Open Cup. <laughs> were you at the game? How did you think? What I was. Think of it? It, I was an entertaining final. Uh, I thought both teams came out, went after it hard. Uh, Great atmosphere. I think Sporting really executed their, their game plan well, which is look for mismatches, um, find space, and, and deliver balls in, in places that, that New York really couldn't get to. Uh, it, it, again, it, was, it wasn't a typical cup final in that both teams didn't sit back and, and play cagey, play cynical, and, and try not to lose. They both came out and went yeah. for it. Uh, I think the experience showed, though. I mean, you, you've got guys, sporting guys, who've been around this club uh, even since the, the you know the late 2000s and uh, the last decade, and you've got guys who who know how to win titles here. It's four cups in six years here. I think that that, that kind of veteran leadership, that experience, is really pretty much what carried the night for them. Yeah, absolutely. Uh- Stevie, I watched I watched the match and I thought the match was relatively open compared to some other cup finals that I had seen. But um SKC trade away their top scorer Dom Dwyer during during the season and a lot of people were skeptical where they're gonna get, where they're gonna get the goals. It looks like it hasn't affected them at, at all, to be honest. Yeah, they're they're uh you know, somebody put up a stat today. Uh Diego Rubio has five goals in seven starts. For sporting, Dwyer had five goals and fourteen starts for sporting. Uh, Latif Blessing has really come on. Daniel Shalawi, who's got goals in his last two matches, uh, just has really started to blossom. So Ed Gerso has has been doing well on, on scoring for 
in all years been their leading scorer. So the, the goals are coming, and they're they're starting to come uh, more frequently now. And I, I, you know, Dom was Dom contributed a lot to uh, to a lot of success. But uh, one of the things about sporting is they've never been entirely dependent on one player. That's never been Peter Vermees' mo, where you hang everything on one guy and expect him to carry the club. So I, when when uh, Dwyer got traded away, it's sort of the next man up approach, and they've really been doing well with that. With how well Sporting KC has been this past season, winning the U.S. Open Cup, what's the expectation going forward into the playoffs? Look, there, the last thing that, that Vermees said uh, to them in the locker room before he came into the news conference is, you know, this isn't, we're not done. This is the only time we're going to do that this year. So the expectation here is always you're going to con- compete for multiple trophies. I mean, and you see the results over the years. They've, they've never gone more than a year uh without a trophy since they moved into the park into children's mercy rebranded and And, uh you know that's it's a run that most teams would kill for the but the expectation every year here then they say it but they say because they mean it is they they expect to contend for multiple trophies and the shield the shield's out of reach this year with toronto fc even if Mm -hmm. if toronto keeps swooning the shield's out of reach but mls cup is very much within reach um and they believe they've got as good a chance as any and a better chance than quite a few to win it yeah, absolutely, Steve. And you were talking about that success where you're talking about the trophies. They've won, what, three U.S. Open Cups in six years? I mean, it really, I think it really shows how uh, important they take this cup compared to some other clubs within the league. Well, and it's, it's silly that, that clubs don't take it seriously. I mean, it's an, it's, first off, it's the easiest way to get into the Champions exactly. League. Exactly. And you get in the Champions League, oh, then you right. get more money, then you get more exposure uh, you, you know, you get a, a lot of benefits from, from the Champions League, and plus which you get the, the psychological benefit to your players of hoisting a trophy. That's Absolutely. invaluable. And, and the teams that don't take the Open Cup seriously, I think, really miss out. They, they focus too much on the Shield. They focus too much on MLS Cup. But it's, you know, it's why would you ignore a domestic cup that, that puts you in the, in the CCL? I wonder, Steve, or and Armand, you can answer this. The importance of the U.S. Open Cup is it? Do clubs not take it seriously because the exposure only, I would say, since probably last season or maybe even two seasons ago, hasn't always been, you know, ESPN's finally broadcasting games, but it hasn't always been something up and center. The You get into the Champions Leagues, but the money isn't necessarily all that rewarding. Why do you think there's this weird imbalance of some clubs taking it seriously, like Sporting KC, and other clubs just kind of like, it's whatever? I'll let Armand take this one first. I have some ideas. I want to. I want to hear Armand's thoughts too. <laughs> um, that that that's a tough one. I mean, I feel like so, I think just some clubs take just priority on on certain uh, competitions. For example, I mean, you you see it you see it ac- across the pond uh, in uh, in like in the English leagues. You see like some teams not taking the cup seriously and more focusing on the league and whatnot. I I just I I, I honestly I, I can't fathom a way to figure out why because i do agree with what steve said i do agree that it is one of the easiest ways to get into the uh continental game it is one of the easiest ways to uh get exposure for your club and also to uh in the end hoist a trophy i mean you saw fc dallas how much uh significance they put on hoisting that trophy and how much that meant that the mls cup exit was almost like forgotten by the ownership and some by some players on the team because they won the open cup they won a trophy it's the, it won the easiest routes to getting a trophy so i mean i just i i don't really i truly don't understand why they do it but i mean it happens so steve what, what's your thoughts on that i have, I have a couple of thoughts one i think it's <clears throat> it's like you said the the, the 
tournament really it's been around forever it was the oldest professional tournament and right, right. sport tournament but one thing i think that works against it is the sheer size of the country you look at, at england you, you may hate the team 30 miles down the road but they're in a different division fa cup is the only chance you get to go down 30 miles down the road and just show those so-and-so's what's what right. uh, the open cup everybody's you know kind of <laughs> thrown it's not like Sporting have a huge hate on for let's you know let's say they, they they played of course they only played uh, MLS teams I think this time around but mm-hmm. uh, back when they were playing Minnesota United when Minnesota United was in NASL it wasn't like they had this massive hate on for Minneapolis I mean you got to drive five and a half hours to hate on somebody most people aren't that uh, <laughs> yeah. aren't that fired up um, so you, you only find something like that you know in New York where the Cosmos are trying to make a name for themselves uh, something like that but the country is just so big so you don't have the geographical hatreds and rivalries is one thing I, and I think the the idea of the draw as opposed to if they have another place where you draw your next opponent every time here it's, it's geographic so you know who you're going to play there's not mm. so much quite the um, event of sitting around waiting to find out okay who do we draw in the next round so you pretty much have your path laid out, which I, I'm not a huge fan of that geographic layout because what if the two best teams that take it the most seriously are both on the west side of the country or both on the east side of the country? Uh, but I think this, the run of FC Cincinnati, the run of Miami FC, were both very good for the Cup this year. Uh, a couple of years ago, if you remember, Cal FC mm-hmm. uh, it, mm-hmm. stunned Portland. Um, and then you had Christos, you know, the, the team yeah. that uh, – I think you start getting stories like that. The, the Cup is going to get – more recognition that way because everybody loves an underdog story. This is America. Everybody loves an underdog story. Um, and I think you, you look at the final here, you've seen the, how Dallas took it. You've seen how Seattle uh, has had success in the Open Cup this decade. There, there are, I think there are clubs that are kind of driving that. Um, and I think that as, as more clubs maybe see the importance of it as helping your club gain a successful mindset, I think you're going to see more clubs taking it seriously. You look at the Red Bulls, they didn't take it seriously until Jesse Marsh became the the manager. Why did he take it seriously? Because he was in Chicago and they used to own the Open Cup. Um, so you, a, lot, a lot of it just depends on on the philosophy of the coach. Now, LA, uh, another team that still is historically not taking the Open Cup uh, super seriously. And it being a, a flagship, uh, I want to say a marquee team, maybe in, in MLS, it would help if the market team sort of took more of an interest in it. I think Seattle's interest helps a lot, um, but I, I still think it's got a long way to go. It's come a long way, too, though. Yeah. I, I was, as I said, that was at that 04 Open Cup at Arrowhead in Kansas City. Seats 80,000, and I was one of 8,819 people in the stand. <laughs> and it scored the golden goal. I looked around for somebody to high-five, and there was nobody within three rows. Oh, so it's grown. Yeah. It's grown quite a bit. Uh, absolutely, Steve. I hundred percent agree with those regionalized uh, pairings. I, I, it seems like every single year Dallas or KC will play each other, or Houston and Dallas will play. It's like, it's like the same preset opponents. I really, I really just, I, I, I don't like that. I want to see like you know play maybe play some other team, or maybe uh, have the round where the MLS teams enter have the MLS teams play on the road yeah. against those NASL or USL sides. Sure, you know anything to kind of bump up the. Uh... And the excitement factor. And they, uh, recently, you know, not all that long ago, they, they still had to go across country sometimes because when Sporting won in 2012, they went through Orlando City. 
Right. Of course, at that time, yeah. Sporting were in the East, uh, Eastern Conference of MLS, but it was a little bit different from just playing the same Midwestern teams all over and over again. So here you know who you're going to get. You're going to get maybe Oklahoma City or Dallas or Houston, Colorado. You're going to get everybody pretty much west of the Mississippi. That's your pool. Mm-hmm. And I get that for, for the smaller teams, but once you get into USL or the NASL, you can afford to travel. And especially for a one-off, because if you draw, you don't go back to the other guy's place like you do here. I mean, like you do in England. Um, so, you know, if you draw, you don't have to go all the way from L.A. to New England. I, I just would like to see it opened up a little bit more and more of a random draw. But I really like the way that the Cup has has gained interest. And I think you're going to see the benefit of that next year with, uh, with how FC Cincinnati and uh, Miami FC made those deep runs this year. All right, Steve, I got one last question, and it's actually – one of the questions we love to ask the beat writers around the league is, what is the soccer culture like in Kansas City? Because Children, uh, Mercy's Park is fantastic. The national team plays there. It seems to be an electrifying atmosphere. It's huge. And it, it really, really turned the corner when they built this stadium, when they rebranded, when they moved in. I mean, there are always people who are diehard fans. And there are the people who went through the couple of years in the minor league ballpark, which is you know always an interesting transition phase. But they opened it up here, and they've been a very fan-forward uh, organization, very big on, on connecting with the supporters. I mean, you can't go around town without seeing sporting stuff everywhere. Can I go back to this, the, kind of the, the write-up I did the other day or earlier this week leading up to uh, Open Cup Final? I'm, I'm walking down the street in a neighborhood maybe a couple, couple three miles away from where sporting train, and somebody has stenciled on the sidewalk and spray paint, we want the cup, got to have that cup in blue spray paint with an outline awesome. of the U.S. Open Cup. And just see how far it's come. Yeah, you, you can't go around town without seeing sporting stuff, seeing people in sporting shirts. Um, you know, every every bar you go to now that's considered itself remotely a sports bar, there's some kind of sporting swag hanging up there. Uh, and and it's not just lip service. I mean, people see the, the game, and then they know the game. They, they, it's not like you're going to walk into the office and be the only one talking about soccer the way it used to be here. Um, the, the ownership on goal has really done a fantastic job of uh, just really making this the culture uh, first rate, the stadium first rate, and the, and the supporters again are, are, are crazy passionate uh, about uh, about the club. And they've got a great academy system uh, set up, so you see you know kids all over the city wearing academy gear. Um, the affiliate gear, so they've they've really gotten their roots deep into the culture, uh, and become and ever people love a winner, and they've been delivering that uh, you know success with the trophies year in and year out pretty much. So it's it's a fantastic soccer culture. I mean, they call it the soccer capital of America here, and I don't think they're off the mark. No, absolutely, Steve. I mean, I kind of wish we had that. We I wish I had that over here in the uh, in the Dallas area. Yep. But um, on <laughs> on 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 the show, Steve, we do something a, a shameless plug so people can find your work and uh, follow you on social media. So where can we find you? Where can we find your work? Shameless plug time. Uh, I'm, my work's on MLSsoccer.com. In fact, I'm uh, just uh, before too long. I'll have a piece out on Daniel Shalloway and his parents coming over to uh, to visit from Hungary while he's been enjoying tremendous success this week. So uh, watch for that later on today. And if people want to look for uh, soccer-related snark, among other things, on Twitter, they can just find me under my name at Steve Brizendine, and uh, you can find me either one of those places. That's awesome, Steve. Thanks again for joining us, and hope to talk to you down the road. All right, thanks much.
That was a good interview, Stephen. Well, not good even discussion. Well, good dialogue. Even that, but the, I, I, one thing that struck me is what was really interesting is the stadium because it's a soccer-specific stadium and it's a good stadium. People turn out for the club, huh? That's a really interesting idea. I don't know. Maybe New England and Colorado and Dallas and Columbus and. Uh, all these other you know cities that have terrible soccer stadiums, they could learn some from Sporting KC because ever since they've stepped into that that beautiful stadium, what it's been nothing but success. KC was on the verge of getting, I want to say, contracted at some point. They were god awful. Their attendance was terrible. They had nothing, and they rebranded. And now look at them. The team's having success on the field and off the field, and making a true impact within the. Uh, uh, the KC community, which I find pretty awesome for yeah. a team that you know, was struggling completely, and, and and the club seems to get it with the the young talents moving through the ranks, with with the ownership being stable and the ownership being such a what you know Steve telling us may, being such a uh, fan centered organization. I think it's vital to the growth of soccer, especially in cities like a Midwest area. I mean, think about it. If, if the Hunts in Dallas or the Crafts in Boston, or um, is it Crikey with with the Rapids? Yeah. If they yeah. were to in, Crunky, yeah. invest in in their into the fans. Think about what type of market they could have. They could, Dan Hunt could sell out uh, Toyota Stadium easy. Kraft could have thirty thousand show up at, at Foxborough, but no, it's it's really weird. It it is, and I think another key thing about SKC is they have storylines. Uh, as uh, Steve was mentioning, Shallowy, uh, a little story about Shallowy. I was uh, talking to a buddy of mine who uh, had. Um, who who really likes Shallowy? He told me the story about him. How he actually was a foreign exchange student uh, coming into America, but he was so good that SKC was like, "No, you're gonna have to stay here, and you're gonna play for, play for, for play for our academy." The story of Gerso. I mean, John John Strong mentioned it on his broadcast day. It's on KansasCity.com. Just look up Gerso on KansasCity.com. It's by Sam McDowell. It's an unbelievable story about how he was an orphan. And how he had to go through so much through his childhood to even play soccer. And now he's in his position. He loves it. They have incredible storylines, incredible players, incredible uh, organization. And it's one of the model teams in MLS right now. Alrighty, Well, we got Dan Matera, creator of uh, Nats Abroad, joining us right now. How's it going, Dan? Good, good. How are you guys? We're doing great. I'm well. Doing I'm great. great. Now we're, we're going to change the conversation from MLS to Americans Abroad. And boy, was it a big week. Huge week. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've got, you know, Weston McKinney making big waves at Schalke. Um, mm-hmm. That's a that's a huge deal. You know, he made his his uh, his first start ever uh, for the team for the team in the league uh, last week against Bayern Munich. Made another one this week. Um, so big, big things there. Um, big guys coming back from injury. DeAndre Edlin, Fabian Johnson. Um, so definitely some some big stuff happening ahead of these uh, World Cup qualifiers. I'm, I'm going to ask you this. Why do you think the Bundesliga? Bundesliga seems to get a lot of Americans. You talk, you hear always about these German American players. You hear a lot of Americans going to the Bundesliga. Why do you think it's such a hotbed for American soccer players? You know, I I think it it just has to do with um, you know, the cultural s- sort of ethos. I think that the that the country has um, as a footballing nation or soccer nation. Um, it's you know it, they generally have you never really um you know been the most you know they're not spain they're not the most technical um 
team in the world um, as a national team. But, you know, just coming out of their academies, they have a, just a lot of gritty players, um, guys who, you know, aren't afraid to to run around and, and you know, make a, a sort of, a, you know, a physical presence in the game. And I think that's what they see a lot in, in our younger players. Um, you know, Christian Pulisic, for example, and, you know, Weston McKinney to an extent, you know, they're 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 quick. They're they're just you know, they've got their head down and they just kind of play the game. And that's, that's what I think the German system is all about. Um, and I, I think the, the Americans sort of follow that pretty well. Um, so mm-hmm. I think it just, it happens that, you know, there's interest there from them, um, in our young players, um, more so than, than other nations. So I think that's kind of why they gravitate towards there. And then it just becomes a snowball effect. Um, you know, you see a, a guy like Pulis that go there and then, you know, everybody else kind of feels more comfortable going there as well. So, um, so yeah, I think it's kind of a, kind of a snowball from there yeah absolutely i think also part of it has to do with uh the less stricter uh kind of work permit laws like they have in the in england uh i know that 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 can that can play a factor in a, a player signing too but um i do agree I, I i do think the bundesliga does provide and i think it is that snowball effect that you talk about i mean we saw pulisic go there then we saw mckinney go there i mean we've seen we've seen players um such as uh, McKenzie Gaines also go there, and now we're seeing Josh Sargent uh, signing with Werder Bremen uh, this week. So I mean, I do think part of it is that snowball effect, and I think those players who do sign for these uh, uh, clubs, I think they embrace it. Kind of, they embrace the uh, they embrace you know trying to get more uh, Americans to come to the uh, Bundesliga. I also think that the Bundesliga gives an opportunity to the youngsters. You don't necessarily hear the English league developing young players. I mean, all the big clubs, Arsenal, Bayern Munich, I mean, not Bayern Munich, but Chelsea, United, they don't necessarily dive into their academies as you do see with the German clubs. And I think that's a big motivation and a big reason why you do see these, these uh, you know, youngsters from America. You know, I'm going to go to Bundesliga because you're more likely to get playing time. And that is that is the most crucial aspect to the development of a national team and to the development of, as an individual is getting playing time at the top, you know, uh, in the top leagues. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That that's that's a perfect point. I think you know, there's there's just so much um, emphasis placed on the development of youth. Even I mean, you look at a team like Borussia Dortmund, um, and you know their reliance on youth. Even though they're you know probably considered a, you know the top two three teams in in Germany, they're still pulling guys on a regular basis every year out of their academy. And you know you're just never going to get that from a team like Chelsea or or you know. Yeah, like you said, Manchester United or one of those guys, they're just going to dip into their pockets and, and buy somebody yeah. else. I mean, Manchester United, you know, with Rashford, you do see a couple break through. But Chelsea, they're not going to their their youth academy. They're going to go out and spend the cash. City does the same thing. And it's a, and it's a real shift in, in football and in the sport to, to see the transition into, well, you could just go out and spend money and buy players. Who cares about developing them? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you see, I mean, you you go to a country like Portugal, and I mean, everybody there, but but FC Porto essentially is is living off of that model of of bringing in younger players and turning them into you know bona fide stars and and selling them off to bigger clubs. I mean, that's you know that's just how how some teams work, and and you know other teams don't, and and that's definitely um, definitely a, a big factor, I think. No, I, I, absolutely. I, I totally agree with uh, what uh, what bo- both y'all both y'all are saying with that. And I mean, we just saw like I, like I mentioned, Joe Sargent signed with Werder Bremen. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, on Sargent going to uh, the Bundesliga, Dan? 
Um, I'm I'm excited. I think it's a you know just based on on everything you know, like we just said in terms of um, the the opportunities he'll get as a young player there um, in in Germany um, in general, and also uh, Bremen is a, a a great academy. They've they've produ- produced some really um, really good attacking players um, in recent times. So it's definitely going to be a good fit, I think, uh, for him there. So it's it's definitely exciting you know he'll get a year essentially with their u19 team um and then uh, after that he'll he'll age out of that after his first year there um and then move up to their reserves and and hopefully um at some point make a you know make a splash enough to get into the first team and and uh take advantage of an opportunity there so um yeah big big moves for him he's he's got a, a huge amount of talent i mean he was you know, I mean, we all saw the the U twenty World Cup yep. uh, in the summer. It was just, yeah. uh, it was just phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, records just shattered. You know, he's, he was, I think, you know, six. You know, just super young, and he's, I mean, he's going to play the <clears throat> the U seventeen World Cup uh, next month as well. So, it just kind of goes to show sort of how young he is. Well, I mean, he's so young that he can't technically sign with Bayern Bremen until he turns eighteen in February. So, you know, he's only seventeen right. years old, which is which is a huge statement for Americans. A, a bigger statement is why he didn't sign with Bayern Munich or Borussia Dortmund, who were keen on him as well. Why do you think he chose Werder Bremen over those two clubs? You know, it, it's it's always a uh, an interesting question. I think um, you know, I I would hope that it has to do with you know them you know being him and his you know his family and his agents sort of taking a look at the club in general their sort of stance and and how much they're willing to you know kind of invest in him um whether it be training wise or or you know just kind of the the amount of effort they're going to put into his development and then also you know just looking at the other players that are there you know someone like Dortmund they may have you know a striker who's the same age and you know really good and and kind of in the same pipeline and he'd be competing with him whereas somebody like Bremen might not have that so he's sort of going to slide in and and sort of take over their their spot in the U19 team so um, I'm not really sure but um, I think it's uh, I'm I'm hoping there's there's some uh, some thought process there yeah I, I hope so too I mean I I, I truly think that you know someone was in his ear just like, hey, look, I think this might be a better opportunity for you compared to uh, the other uh, places such as uh, Bayern and, and Dortmund. And I mean, like we discussed earlier, I mean, I feel like almost any of those top uh, Bundesliga sides are a good side are, are a good side to go to developmental wise and because they're not afraid to play the youth. And I mean, too many times we see teams are some of them are a little too afraid to play the youth, but these these German teams, such as what Schalke has done with uh, McKinney, are just seem to integrate these younger players almost seamlessly of sorts into their starting lineups and whatnot. So I think I think I've absolutely yeah, I think it's 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 a great opportunity for uh, Sargent. Yeah, you know, these kids who who are kind of distributed all over the world, especially the youngsters, when you – when now this is a question for both of you guys. When do you think we will actually see them break through the national team and start replacing the older guys? If you look at the current squad, there were only four players who were younger than 22 when it came to the recent call-up. Now, we're going to get the call-up roster here in the, in the next couple – of weeks for the next round of qualifying. Uh, seven, meanwhile, were over the age of 32. Three were the goalkeepers. But the seven were Dempsey, Wondolowski, Beasley, Howard, Guzan, and uh, Nick Morando. So to put it in perspective, England had three 
at the U twenty uh, who are younger than twenty two. But shouldn't Bruce Arena start to sprinkle in some of these youngsters to a get them experience and b also start to to set that next generation of a of the national team? Um, yeah, I I definitely think that's I'm fully um, on board with that. I mean, I think it's we're we're kind of almost hitting a you know a gap where we're we're just we didn't have a generation of players who are now you know 22 23 um really pan out like we thought they would um whether it be just talent wise or or just situationally um guys like emerson Heinemann and and perry kitchen that were sort of supposed to mm-hmm. be at that point now where yeah. they were taking over for bradley um you know, we do have guys like Kaylin Acosta, who's who's doing a good job, I think, of sort of breaking in and, and making a spot. Uh, but uh, we're, we're, we really missed out on that. Uh, that's sort of the Olympic team of, of last year. So mm. um, of really of guys really being able to come in and, and prove beyond a reasonable doubt that they're uh, that they're ready to take over. So I think that's part of it. And then, uh, you know, also, the you know, the fact that these games are so important that uh you know it's kind of hard for arena to to bring in a guy who's you know 19 20 and, and has really never played at this this level before um so yeah it's it's tough i hope uh you know once we kind of get through this the world cup qualifying uh, that we can kind of find a way to to start working them in as, as soon as possible absolutely dan i agree with that that last statement a lot uh i i, I wish bruce would but i can't blame him because Basically, they're fighting for the World Cup lives yeah. now. Do you would you want would you rather have um, you know Weston McKinney or a more experienced guy? I mean that that's quest that question is pretty uh, pretty pretty obvious. Now, um, what I think Bruce should do is um, hopefully he gives maybe one or two of those last spots to one or two of these European kids uh, or the no well European but these two younger Americans that are, that are abroad. This is maybe a Weston McKinney. Or somebody else. Hell, Weston McKinney might even break into the uh, to the lineup, maybe replacing Acosta. I don't know what's going to happen a year from now. But I do think Arena needs to integrate maybe one or two of these younger guys, um, maybe in, into into a World Cup roster, just to give them the experience and, and the taste. And then when 2022 rolls around, I know we're talking about 2022. Geez, that's 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 a while away. But when 2022 <laughs> comes around, I mean. Look, I mean, oh, those we guys hope we, they they get into the squad. Yeah, yeah. If they get in, if yeah, if if they if they get into the cup and the squad, but um, I mean, when, once that once that comes around, if those guys have progressed well enough, then they'll be a little, maybe a little bit more experienced than uh, some some of their counterparts. But I mean, I I, I can't blame Bruce for uh, not giving these guys a chance, especially in the circumstances he's in right now. No, and and I think you bl- the blame is is not necessarily on on Bruce. It is part on Bruce, part on Klinsmann, but it's a lot on the players. Because if the players had performed well, if the United States had picked up points in the World Cup qualifying, you'd be able to give these last two games here, and you'd probably be able to bring in some of the new youngsters to give them some World Cup qualifying experience. Knowing <laughs> that you've already qualified, these games are almost meaningless. You you know you might go up and down stand, uh, the standings, but you, you're in, you're going to Russia. Who cares if you finish second to third? Maybe... If you really want to get into to logistics of the plot, of the pots, and all that, you know, group staging, fine. But the the fact that we're struggling so much is not benefiting these kids who are making names for themselves by playing in Germany. Yeah, I mean that that's exactly right. I mean, you can't, um, you know, if if you don't present them the opportunity to come in and and you know not have to, you know, go to Honduras and and play for the team's uh 
you know, chances at a World Cup, then, you know, that, I mean, that's just not, just not feasible. So you need to, you need to have a way to bring them in. And yeah, yeah, like you said, if, if they could come in and play a, a competitive match that really was kind of meaningless, that would be sort of ideal. But we're definitely, uh, definitely not at that point anymore. And uh, we've got to, got to do everything we can now to, uh, to qualify. So. No, absolutely. I, I I totally agree. But I mean, this week we did see Weston McKinney make his debut and he did not look out of place. I mean, I watched uh, parts of the game before I had to go to class. I know uh, Steven watched parts of the game. I know you yep. watched the game, Dan. Um, yep. Can, uh, wh- where are y'all thoughts? I thought he looked completely, um, it, nothing, it didn't look like he was out of place. I thought he was well. And he earned a second start uh, this past weekend as well. So what were your thoughts on uh, his uh, play? Yeah, I think it's, um, you know, just in, in terms of the team in general, this isn't, you know, really a, a situation where, you know, guys are hurt and they're they're sort of dipping into their youth. He's he's a member of their squad at this point. Um, there was there's no real big injuries right now that Shaka have. Um, and, you know, the, the coach just kind of went with him and as a you know, a situational kind of thing. He wanted a more defensive center mid. They have more attacking center mids, but um, they went with him and yeah, he, he definitely did not look out of place. I mean, tactically he's, he's aware technically he's um, he's right up to speed with all these guys. Uh, He can play balls over the top. He can, you know, he can hold possession when needed. He did, he did get caught out a little bit um, tracking back, I think a few times and maybe even once on one of the, uh, on one of the goals that, uh, that they scored. But uh, other than that, he, he, you know, he looks, looks really well-rounded and I think just kind of the perfect um, center mid that, that Schalke look for. They just, yeah. they like. No, I, I definitely agree. I, if, if, if you're Kellen Acosta right now, you're starting to sweat. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, think, I mean, he, He's young. I'm young. Kellen Costa, if I'm Kellen Costa. I'm young. He's young. What difference does it make if it's him or you? You know what I'm saying? So, And Kellen Costa hasn't been playing well for FC Dallas or, you know, with FC Dallas struggling. You might not get the same recognition. He's playing with Schalke. He's making these big plays. He fits in well. Tactically, he's aware of everything. He he can play well through the air, on the ground. He passes well. He's in the right spots at the right time. Uh Bruce Arena will definitely be considering him, I think, in the next couple of days to maybe replace Kellen Acosta, somebody who's also young, but you, you know, you're not changing the entire dynamics of the U.S. men's national team, and you're getting a youngster the opportunity to play. Interestingly, Kellen Acosta and McKinney are from uh, you know Dallas area, so you, the Dallas yep. connection is is very strong. <laughs> Yep, they're 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 both from Dallas. Actually, uh, I tell the story a lot of people. McKinney actually uh, played in a middle school. Uh, we when we were in middle school, we played in a match, and he actually scored a midfield chip on on our keeper. So I mean, the talent was always there for him, and especially when he when <laughs> we're, we're looking at our goalie, like, come on, man! But little we know, this guy be professional playing against Bar Bar Munich. Um, but I mean, I feel like I don't know, Stephen. Do you think he would have had the same, uh, I guess, success if he was maybe at Dallas compared to uh, Schalke? I know this might be kind of a dumb question because uh, Schalke is a is a much better side than Dallas. But do you think do you think it would have been a different, a much different scenario or whatnot? I, it's a very. I think it's not a bad question to ask because if you are a youngster and you're looking at break wanting to break through professionally, are you going to want to put 
your chips into the basket of MLS or you want to take your chances overseas. We know the risk about going overseas because you can easily be forgotten. Okay, There's so many footballers in Europe that you suddenly become less important. If you do break through an MLS squad, you're more guaranteed playing time. You're guaranteed the opportunity to to showcase your talent to Bruce Arena, who is located here in the U.S. and and um, no, nationally, you you show your you showcase your your talent nationally on, on televisions and all that. I don't know. But what's your take, Dan? Yeah, I think it's you know it's definitely a gamble, and I think you know. I obviously I'm I'm no professional athlete by any means, but um, you know if <laughs> if I was and, and <laughs> you know if I I can just imagine if if I'm an 18 year old kid and and you know I've I've got this you know this talent um, you know it's still you know you've got to realize that no matter what you know if it's MLS or or you know Germany or or wherever you know it's it's a big risk no matter what so I feel like if if you're gonna take a risk and you're gonna you know go and try and be a professional player um, you might as well go where the where the ceiling's high um, you know I think you look at the MLS and and best case scenario is is like you said where, where you break into the team and and you know you're playing in front of uh, in front of the national team coach which is always obviously the goal but I think you know for a lot of these guys who you know have ambition and 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 want to really you know get up to that highest level. Um, there's really no way to do that in, in, in MLS right now. Um, so I think, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to tell a a kid that, 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 you know, that age to say, you know, Hey, let's, let's kind of, uh, you know, dampen the the fire here and just kind of stick with MLS and kind of play it safe here. Um, it's, you know, it's always going to be, you know, go big or go home. Um, so I think that that's kind of the, the driving factor there, you know, everybody just kind of wants to, you know, see what they can do and, and put their talents up against the best. No, absolutely, Dan. Now I got a, I got a question for you that uh, I'm always on the lookout for uh, some Americans abroad. Can you give us like a couple of like maybe that aren't really household names that could be household names relatively soon? Uh, some uh, Americans abroad. Um, yeah, one uh, one you actually mentioned earlier um, briefly is uh, McKinsey Gaines, who's I believe an, another um, Texas native. Yeah, another Dallas kid. Yep, <laughs> coming coming out of there in droves. Um, He's he's a, a I you know I really like him I I've, I've been a big fan of his since he um, moved over to Wolfsburg um, and even before that on the on the youth national teams um, he's playing now at uh, at Darmstadt with uh, Terrence Boyd got a lot of playing time uh, in in the off season with their uh, with the first team and with you know looked really well he seemed to have the coach's eye has not really played that much. Um, since the season started, but um, definitely one to keep an eye on if he does break into the first team. You know, that could be another situation where we've got a, a you know a 19 year old kid um, playing minutes with the first team. Um, and then a, another one I really like is uh, Keaton Parks in in Portugal. Definitely a, an outlier um, for that sure. Was good too. I, I never heard guy. of that guy. I, I'm just I'm just pandering to you guys. Um, <laughs> no, I um I really do like him. He's he's just uh, he seems to be sort of in the same uh, same mold as McKinney, um, a very just a strong physical player, but also really really technical and knows you know how to get forward and, and play the ball um, in an attacking uh, sense. So definitely one to keep an eye on. Um, I, I really like him, um, but yeah, uh, you know there's there's a lot of guys um, throughout oh. Europe. Really, yeah. I, I mean, mean, it's it's really incredible yeah. in terms of you know what if you look at you know we don't really have the numbers uh, put together 
ourselves, but you know, if, if you could look at the, the number of guys who, you know, under the age of 20 or 18, whatever you want to break it down it, from, you know, compare it from now to, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, it's, I mean, it's just incredible how many guys there are over there now. Um, I, I would say it's, it's incredible to see how many, it'll be interesting to see how it translates with the national team. Uh, and I, one little point, if Texas were its own nation, they would have a good <laughs> squad to go to the World Cup. I'd say they would be I'd reckon they would be pretty good in CONCACAF. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I give Panama and Costa Rica, US and Mexico some uh, some uh, The a US. Fight. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, Dan, we appreciate it. Uh we got a little shameless plug here on Uncle Sam Soccer Podcast. Where can we find your content? Where can we find Nats Abroad? Um, you know, our, our main, our main, um, outlet right now is, is on Twitter, um, you know, just at Nats abroad. Um, you know, we're posting stuff all, all the time, just about, you know, whether it's guys playing, scoring, getting injured, anything like that. Any, any sort of news that's, that's, a, you know, from Germany to, to Sweden, anywhere in between kind of thing. Uh, we're keeping track of those guys. So, um, yeah. Awesome. Appreciate well- that. Yeah, absolutely. We appreciate it and hope uh, we'll have you back on the show to talk to more uh, Americans abroad. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'd love it. Awesome. Thanks again. Okay. Thanks, guys. We got a little dose of some Americans abroad, Stephen. Nats abroad. I, I, I follow that Twitter account, oh. so I mean, hey, it's it's a good Twitter account to follow. Good group of guys who follow all the uh, Americans abroad. They all tweet about them, too. So, I mean, it's great to have Dan on our show. For sure. Hey, what do you think? Texas, if they were to secede, man, they'd have a pretty badass national anthem. You know, stars at night are big and bright. That'd be the national anthem. Would Cal- people stand or sit for it? Huh? Oh, oh. Would people stand or sit for it? That's a good question. Um, but you'd have <laughs> Kellen Acosta. You'd have Keaton Parks uh, in the middle. I bet I bet you and I could fill out a, a Dempsey. Who for, Dempsey could be leading. He'd be the captain. Mm. Uh, I mean, you would have so many. You know, you'd have a starting 11. I bet you and I could create a Texas starting 11. Yeah, I'd be uh, I'd be manager, head coach, uh-huh. uh, general manager, owner. So I would say I'm the owner, CEO. You'd be... Uh, You'd be VP. All right. Whatever, Stephen. Whatever, man. Whatever uh, makes you sleep at night. Yeah, okay. Uh, on a serious note, Texas is, especially North Texas, uh, is a hotbed for, for youth stock, soccer. And I would recommend going listen, listening to episode two uh, where we had Jared Miklas, the academy director of U.S. soccer. But we also had Fred Kaiser, coach, who actually coached Keaton Parks. Uh, uh, on the show to discuss, you know, youth soccer, and we we got into a little bit of the the hotbed that North Texas is. But moving on, no, to- yeah, definitely go revisit that episode if you want to hear more about the youth. Yes, uh, if if you want to, also give us a follow on Twitter at Unc Sam Soccer Pod. But moving on to the MLS playoff uh, formatting because MLS is discussing a potential change to the playoff format for 2018 and beyond. Yeah, it's, it sounds it sounds interesting for a, a, a change, even though. So basically, what they want to do, MLS wants to consider because of the whole FIFA November window, they want to consider only playing single elimination playoffs. 
that's the gist of the whole thing to avoid playing uh before that or i think what before that uh after that window because it kills kind of momentum in the playoffs i mean we've seen it work size for a playoffs is a two-week break like what the hell no i i I think it's and the mls playoffs it's a problem because it's a two-legged series some of them you have the wild card game then you have a quick turnaround to the semis and then the you know conference finals and you have the mls cup the problem is if if you look at it, the team with the higher seed doesn't necessarily always progress because it's not necessarily home field advantage because they're on the road at first. So you know what I'm saying? They could easily, FC Dallas, for example, slip in an 0-3 hole, and then they go home for the second game, and then it's pretty much meaningless. It's almost impossible to come uh, back from. So endless playoffs, you have that issue. Then you have the issue of of that stupid FIFA window that just kills momentum, kills the game. Uh, not even necessarily players' momentum, but just the the momentum in the back of your mind. If you're watching the sport, you're like, okay, this is great. Oh wait, MLS Cup is in two weeks, or it resumes in two weeks. What? People are gonna forget about that. It's not good for the TV markets. And then think about it like this: What if you are Sebastian Giovinco, and so hypothetically you get called up to the Italian national team during that FIFA window? You know, for something. I don't know. Yeah. Typically, there's no World Cup qualifying during that window period. It's more friendlies than anything. But what if what if there's a player that goes for up for an important game, you know, or something important, something happens, you know, for the national team, and it, they get the opportunity to. What if they get hurt? What if they? What if the club says no, you can't go? Then their spot, you know, maybe they don't get a second chance to get called up because the window, that FIFA window, is crucial to allowing new and young players to come up and play, you know. A game for the national team to see how they fit in. No, no, absolutely. That that break is really killer. Um, I would I would say it just kills momentum for any the any of the, the playoffs. And the playoffs are really fun to watch, actually. But um, well, you know, are they really all that fun? Because some games could be dreadful, and other games are Toronto, uh, Montreal. I mean, I don't know. I I genuinely enjoy watching the playoffs, Steven. I really do. I love watching the wild card matchups because those games. I mean, what was it? The SKC Seattle game last year. I remember oh, we were texting uh, about Fellhaber, it. Fellhaber. Yeah, the Fellhaber. Yeah, what did he get red carded or something like yeah, that? Yeah, and, and like, he was yeah. just going crazy. Yeah, he was going crazy. Like that was. And that's why I love. That's why I love watching the playoffs. Now his proposal is talking about single elimination. I I can't. I, I can't vote yes on that if I am someone who ha- was empowered to vote for it. Uh, it, it. It doesn't make sense. Economically, clubs don't like it from the report. By the way, this is uh, from 442.com by uh, Stam uh, Stesko. Um, it's a good read. Teams, yeah, it's a good read. And the teams would end up – the smaller teams are mad because that's one less home game for them. For example, if you're a, sm- if you're a smaller team that doesn't make that much money – you want the extra home game. You don't want, you know, this is to be single elimination. Now, single elimination would, uh, I think, put more emphasis on on the regular season, which is something I've criticized in the past. I don't like how the uh, playoffs seem to throw out the regular season. The playoffs are a playoffs. They're a crapshoot. They're a flip of a coin. Well, um, I mean, at times, yeah, no, for sure. I mean, look at Houston or Dallas. If they make squeak into the playoffs and went on, go on to win MLS Cup, were they necessarily were they the best team for 2017? No. So the MLS playoffs is a crapshoot, and it's an entire it's an entire new season. Okay, so you're you're forcing these clubs to to deal with that, and 
I don't know. The MLS playoffs, it's just a weird format to begin with. It's not consistent. And you have this, one, you know, the, the I guess the play-in game, you know, the, the wild card. And then it goes on. And then that team's home. Mm-hmm. And then you have the, the road game. It, it works. But they need to, to finalize the system. I, you know, let, let, let's just play. If we were in charge of MLS, how would you do the playoffs? It's really, really hard. But um, what I would do is I would end up doing what the Liga, Liga Emekis does in Mexico. Sorry. Um, what they do is relatively interesting. And even though it's a little bit shorter on the breaks, I do believe it could work. What ends up happening is they play one leg on Wednesday, the other leg on Sunday. So I think that's what, three, four days in between? That's two games that's two games in the week. It's it's relatively fast. They finish their they finish their uh, playoffs, the Ligila, rel- relatively quick compared to uh, what MLS does. And it's a lot. And they start later, and they end up at the S- around the same time as MLS. I mean, that that's what I would do. I would keep a two leg system. I think the single leg system is relatively stupid for something that determines your league's champion in the international uh, perspective. Hey, I, okay, fair enough. But how many player? How many teams? Clubs get into the playoffs. I would stick with this. I would stick with this format because once you get teams what twenty seven, twenty eight, it's no longer a a majority of teams. It's still it's going to be a much lesser amount of teams. I would keep it because that's what they're put in for. These two spots, the five, six, five, six on each side, were put in so that you know you don't have to go through some painful transition the transition right now is would be seamless if they went to 28 right now to be honest uh you, you know what my so, okay so i have one realistic scenario then i have my my stupid mind like this sporty uh, the winner of the supporter shield automatically goes to the mls cup right then you play the playoffs you have a home and away system it's relatively quick turnaround the winner of that small tournament plays the winner of the supporter shield in for the mls cup is that's, that you're serious or are you joking? This, that's my joke in mind. Oh, okay, good. But I think that would be really interesting to see. It'd be fun. It'd be fun. Sec, my realistic mind goes to actually cutting the playoffs back. Yeah, you're going to lose money. I think it's just better for, for – you put more emphasis on the regular season. You do the top four from each conference that play, right? And then after that, you do what they what – you, what you do is the Champions League draw. The first round, you cannot have interconference play. You line them up. Bing. Doesn't matter about seeding. Nothing. That's it. Uh, the, the only reason with the seeding, the way the seeding works would be is if you are the higher seed going into the playoff format, the drawing, you get to choose if, you're on the ho- if you are at home or away first. You, ma- you make your decision then and there. So if you're okay. Toronto, you say... Uh, you draw Sporting KC. Since you're the higher seed, you get to choose if you're home or away. And then after that, it's just you, you move on like the Champions League. It's a drawing. It's, it doesn't matter. You could have two Western Conference teams play in the playoffs. I think. So you're be- saying. So you're saying scrap the conference system in general. No, the conference. System I mean, like is, no, the conference system is designed to to uh, I, limit travel. Limit travel. You have to. It's just realistically stupid to have cl- 
clubs travel across the country all the time. You have to have the conferences to break up the scheduling to make it a little bit more. And, and with the, with so much travel, you don't develop rivals. You know, you have to have the the regularity of seeing the same clubs over and over. But yeah, with the the drawing with you know the Champions League, it's a, it's a it's an occasion. You know, you get to see okay, who's t- who's my club drawing. And if you're a higher squad, then you, you then you get to play the game. Should we be on the road first? Should we be on the you know? Uh, should we host the game first? You know. So- My only issue with that is is if you're a top side like let's say Toronto, and you get matched up with another top side like the other top side in the West, how how is how is that fair? How 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 is that relatively fair? I mean, even if you choose the home, like I don't think I, I don't think I don't think that's fair. I think it would be a disadvantage almost. Well, I what, mean, what it would make what it would mean is you're just trying to get to this tournament. If you're if you're gonna do these this split up, what I would do is I would set up four pots: pot one, top one, pot two, top two, pot three. Uh, okay, yeah, top, yeah, yeah, yeah. So pot do, four like that. Yeah, no, you would do what FIFA does when it comes to the World Cup. You have the higher ranking teams in one pot, and, and it splits up. So you know, uh, especially in the first round, I think after the so first one round, can't play one, two yeah. can't play two, three can't play three, four can't play four. Yeah. But four could play three, four could play two, four could play one. You know what I'm saying? So you mix it up. But you get creative with it. I think it would be really good for the sport. You'd have that Champions League air where, you know, the drawing is such an occasion. You know, how many people are glued to the TV? But that that's my, my I think, realistic idea where MLS should be going for it. But with expansion and all that, keep it as is. And, and we'll see where it goes. You just got to get rid of that FIFA window. But uh, listeners, follow us on Twitter at UncSamSoccerPod. Uh, don't forget to subscribe, comment, and share. We had fantastic guests on the show. We'll be back next week with another episode. Armand, you got the final word. Yeah, man. Uh, it was actually a really great episode with lots of great insight. Um, make sure you guys are keeping close with uh, MLS. Playoff races are heating up. Yes. Atlanta just beat Montreal. I want to say it was 2-0. And it looks like the East is heating up. W- West is relatively as tight Weak. as ever. And... I just can't wait to see what the uh, MLS playoffs are going to bring to us today. We'll talk to MLS playoffs on the next episode, so catch that. Yeah. Oh, come on, phone. What's wrong? Sprint turn. This smartphone is not smart. Then switch to Sprint and get a brilliant iPhone XR for just $15 a month. $15 a month? Now that sounds smart. Switch to Sprint and get the brilliant iPhone XR for just $15 a month. Visit a Sprint store, Sprint.com, or call 800-SPRINT-1. Phone $15 per month after $16.25 per month. Credit applied within two bills. Requires 24-month installment. Calling if you cancel early. Remain in balance two. Coverage and offer not available everywhere. Swiss tax, $30 activation fee, restrictions apply. Right now, you can get both Sprint's unlimited plan and the all-new Samsung Galaxy S10 included for just $35 per month per line for five lines. All you need is approved credit and 24-month installment billing. No trade-in required. Visit a Sprint store, Sprint.com, or call 800-SPRINT-1. Phone $15 a month after $22.50 a month credit. Apply within two bills. If canceled early, remaining balance due. Unlimited basic after $6.30.20. Pay $32 per month per line for five lines with auto-pay data deprioritization during congestion. Speed maximums. Use rules and restrictions apply.